0: Less Than Zero. Clay is coming home on vacation, home to Beverly Hills, home to his two closest friends, home to the beautiful and the out of control. When you're young and rich in Beverly Hills, the fun can last all night, the night can last all day, and the scars can last a lifetime. Welcome to Cover Your Eyes. Today we're talking about Less Than Zero. Hey, Holly Oliver.
1: Hi, Sarah Debra. What do you think about this movie?
0: Well, um, to be honest, I had actually never seen this movie as a kid, So, but I always wanted to, so I was kind of excited to get the chance to see it. Um, so that I, I really liked it, and I knew that it was about drugs and things going wrong in young people's lives, but I didn't really know the depth that they sunk to. Because knowing that Andrew McCarthy was in it, I thought it would still be kind of lighthearted, but it wasn't. (laughs) So, I mean, the main things that I got from this movie are basically, I think it was a good message of don't do drugs, which was huge with the war on drugs in the 80s. I'm not sure it worked, but I think this movie would try to help support that idea. Um, money can't buy you happiness. I mean, all of these kids are so rich. They have everything in the world they could ever want. But that doesn't mean that they're happy. They're actually quite unhappy, most of them. So the three main characters, um, Julian, who's Robert Downey Jr., Blair, Jamie Gertz, and then Clay Easton, who's Andrew McCarthy. They all are kind of unhappy in their own ways.
1: I saw this movie... When I was like, let's see. So it came out in like 87 or 88. Yeah, 87. So I, it probably, I know I saw it on cable Mm. and I snuck and watched it because Andrew McCarthy. Andrew McCarthy McCarthy is my all time crush from when I was little. Yeah. I saw him in uh, Pretty in Pink and I just, like, watched Pretty in Pink over and over again and, like, drooled and was like, I cannot wait until I'm a teenager <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can find somebody that looks like Andrew <laughs> Or that's like Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to see this movie really super bad. This was one where it was like my mom was like, absolutely not. Um, wow the whole thing is just high melodrama lots of drugs sex and drugs are the themes of the movie so and they advertise that so she didn't want me to see it and then i was thinking about when i was watching it earlier i was like remembering sneaking and watching it and being really disappointed this is like really depressing and i don't want to see my fake childhood boyfriend
0: andrew mccarthy get tortured i was like whoa because i mean in the 80s it's like yeah everyone starts coke whatever Mm -hmm. you go into the bathroom and someone's gonna offer you some coke but then like to take it to the next level of crack is like robert Downey jr julian's just like in this club and then he basically leans out a window and lights up a crack pipe i was like dang okay every time he sucked
1: on the crack pipe it looked like it was the only thing left in his life. We have Clay and Blair who are girlfriend and boyfriend, and they are going to be going off to school together out in the New England. And then Julian is going to be a record producer with his own record label that his dad gave him for graduation present. And so he's going to stay in LA. And then there's Rip who is a drug dealer and he's played by James Spader, of course. Yeah. Cuz James Spader plays the same variation of the like arch enemy <laughs> in every like teen movie. <laughs>
0: He does. He's good at it, though. He's so good at it. He's so good at it. I gotta say, like, (laughs) I'm not. I've never been like a huge James Spader fan, but I feel like he was doing it for me in this movie. He had like the short hair, Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I was just like, oh, he's looking good in this movie. Aside from being like a drug dealer, his looks were doing it for me. He was kind of giving me like a Jude Law vibe. I don't know yeah. why. And Jude Law is like my from way back. He's mm. my huge crush. Um, and he was kind of reminding me of him. But yeah, James Spader, <laughs> I like him in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think about the Blacklist, and then I just get depressed, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I stop. Like the character he plays in
1: this movie, he's a sex trafficker.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's- in the,
1: real, in the real sense of sex trafficking, <laughs> like not fake, you know, sex trafficking, like not QAnon sex trafficking <laughs> uh-huh. rhetoric, but actual sex trafficking. The three of them are at graduation and they're taking pictures and they have champagne bottles that they're drinking out of at the school. And I was like, I felt like that was a really good way to indicate their uh, financial status. Yeah, they're drinking Dom Perignon out of the bottle. Each have their own bottle. And no one is going to say anything to them about it because their parents are important. So we have that. So that kind of, to me, that set the scene for what was to come. Because it's already really obvious that their parents have a very hands-off approach. Um, and in to the extent that Blair's dad, you never really see him, he can't make it to her graduation. And then whenever she stops by his house later, he doesn't even come outside his bedroom door to like say thank you for the Christmas present. She left him. That made it easier for me to have sympathy for her. I didn't like her in this movie when I was a kid because she rejected Andrew McCarthy so I thought she was a total moron and I was just like, I can't with this
0: woman. (laughs) (laughs) She's crazy.
1: Blair ends up staying in LA to model and to party. She ends up hooking up with Julian, of course because He's there too and they're both doing coke together and partying all the time while clay is in New England in college moving on and like deciding he's gonna grow into a person and not just like be a party they're party monsters they have they're teenagers who have less, then great supervision from their parents and then their parents go well I'll just throw money at them and get them whatever they want and then I don't have to pay attention to them and then they go out into the world seeking attention and then they get preyed upon by people like rip because they're vulnerable plays not though. Clay's not really. He doesn't seem vulnerable in that way and you notice like his family is there.
0: Yeah, his family is there more than the other families especially for an 80s movie. <clears throat> like that's one of the things I notice about the movie too is the like parental abscess, absence the parental absence theme continues <laughs> through this movie which we've seen in <laughs> several of the other movies. Clay, when he first comes home, like for Christmas, he's like, mom, and she's not there, but she was at his graduation. So Clay's parents are divorced and it's seemingly from another woman causing problems and his dad had an affair, it seems like. So, but his mom and dad both come to his graduation and they're both there for Christmas dinner because they're like, we're going to just put our differences aside enough to be there for the important moments for Clay. So yeah, that made a huge difference in his life, it seems like you know, we find out later that Julian's mom died when he was five. So that caused like a trauma for him and also an absence throughout his life. And who knows how his dad handled it then. So it seems like his dad was there for him. Yes. Even people who have wonderful families, because I know people who have wonderful families who are very supportive and give them every advantage they could possibly have. And still there's just something emotionally or some trauma they've been through emotionally or even like a physiologic chemical imbalance or something that's in them and they are just feeling this need to like self-medicate and they turn to drugs. So certainly like not having a good family system doesn't automatically mean you're going to do drugs, but it makes you less likely. But then there are people with wonderful family support systems who still do it because there's just different factors in everyone's life that it can't be boiled down to like, formulaic reasons and um that's what happened with Julian because his dad you know tried and then he says I sent you to rehab and you talked your way out of it and we've done this a hundred hundred times so you can see like what we first see in the movie is Julian's dad rejecting him and being like get out of here I don't want you here if you're on drugs and then later we find out like they've been through this many many times before so his dad's just not abandoning him and Giving up on him. He just can't stand to go through this cycle anymore. And it's damaged the rest of his family.
1: So there's also lots of people who have horrible, horrible childhoods who never do drugs, you know? Right. So, I mean, like you're saying, it's completely variable. However, I do have a theory about Julian. I want to hear it. And what happened to Julian. So here's my backstory for Julian. His. Uncle that he goes to visit. Oh my God. In the car dealership. His uncle deals really fancy, expensive cars. Not a used car salesman, you know, even though he's very slick. And he is sitting in the car with Julian, and Julian is trying to get money because he owes $50,000 to RIP because he's been quote unquote dealing drugs but really that just means he's been getting fronted drugs that he's been doing <laughs> himself yeah <laughs> uh, he's asking for money and he's like I'm in you know I'm investing in this club and it's really great and his uncle's like you know what let's go do a bump of coke and we'll talk about it And there was something about the way that that scene was played that I felt like the underlying tone of it was that his uncle had treated him inappropriately sexually in some way. Now, that doesn't necessarily even mean like that it was full on like sexual assault it could have also been putting him in really inappropriate sexual situations at a younger age or treating him like a buddy and like maybe even hiring him a sex worker for his 14th birthday or something really fucked up that that men think you know that that a lot of like older men could have thought like was a bonding experience and that like they don't even realize to themselves that like that's causing harm so it could have been something like that but I think it was probably something much more extreme than that and then later in the movie he's saying the uncle sees him again and is like I can't loan you the money because I talked to your dad and he was I don't know it was something about the way he said like you know you're my favorite like nephew or whatever. I don't know. There was just something, their relationship. I just read that as being somehow abusive to Julian in a way that was like very old and something that Julian didn't even quite understand yet is part of his problem. And then there was also this other aspect to his relationship with, clay where i felt like he was actually interested in clay oh sexually he slept with blair because he missed clay yeah because blair and julian cheat on clay with each other and that's not the deal (laughs) and so clay catches them that happened at Thanksgiving. Now Clay's back for Christmas. And he forgives them. But I think part of his forgiving them has to do with, like, that on some level, he knows that he's actually the focus of both of their attentions. And yeah. the only reason that they turn to one another is because he's absent.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Jamie Gertz or Blair says, you know, you left the both of us when she's talking to him in the club or somewhere, like he abandoned them and they were just lost without him. And so they turned to each other for comfort. Like you said, like he was the glue holding the group together and kind of mm-hmm. probably keeping them from going off the rails. It seems like. And then once he left, they lost their stability. He's the parental
1: figure. Yes. Totally. Like, Cause while I was watching this movie, I was also wondering about why, I just had such a huge like take my breath away crush on Andrew McCarthy because I don't normally I'm not normally attracted to guys that look like him. And I also it's almost like I don't even see his face because I'm just like staring at his eyes like like he he's hypnotizing me or something. (laughs) I think part of it's because he has this really intense paternal vibe to me that he was even conveying in movies as a teenager. And like, if you look at other movies that he's in, he always ends up playing somebody that's like the emotionally reserved person that ends up
0: taking care of things. Yeah, he's really good at that. He's an old soul or something, and it, like, comes through in the movies. Even though he has a baby face, he's, like, a baby face with an old soul. And he just has, like, a presence about him where he does seem like he would take care of things. His eyes, I feel like he has, like, I go back and forth with him. Like, sometimes I think he looks really cute. And then sometimes I think he looks kind of strange. Like, his eyes are just kind of wild and almost... Creepy. sometimes, yeah. I don't know.
1: I have a theory about okay, so I have a theory about what this movie is. Tell me, I love your theory. Thanks. <laughs> so, I think this movie is an indictment of Hollywood.
0: Oh, obviously, yeah.
1: it's criticizing itself now. Every once in a while, or quite often, depending on the decade, Hollywood like indicts itself in movies where it's totally self-aware like hollywood's self-aware and they're they're doing a critique on their own lifestyle. So those these movies come out and everybody loves them, loves them. I love them. Everybody loves a redemption story. So Julian has the potential to have a redemption story like four or five times over and over and over again. Ugh, I kept rooting for him. Well, he's Robert Downey Jr. He's so oh God, easy yeah. to root for. I love him. He's great. He has, like, his his face is rounded in such a way that he always looks like a little boy. Uh-huh. It's, like, it's easy to have empathy and want to nurture him, which is why he's, like, a really great villain. Yeah. Because I, I don't... I haven't personally been, like, sexually attracted to him at, at, like probably in any i don't he's just not i'm just not. he's not my jam you know um (laughs) but also like he's a very attractive person yeah um he's really
0: fascinating to watch
1: he is and he's he's like unabashedly grotesque in this movie
0: i've never felt sexually attracted to him either but i just feel like he's just so cute and he's just got such a great playful personality that comes through in like every movie and he's like a smart ass all the time but like an endearing smart ass and he's just unapologetic with it and so yeah even when he's being like a bad guy or a horrible drug addict it's like you still just want to be with him and hang out with him and help him and especially in this movie it was terrible like you said you can see the pain when he's smoking the crack and you can see that it feels like it's the only thing in his life and just like it seems really genuine. And then while I'm watching it, I'm like, this is genuine. Like now knowing everything that he went through, Mm -hmm. was he really going through it at the time of this movie or had he already like recovered and then did this movie and then went back into drugs? I don't know, but like this acting is coming from like a place in reality you can tell and it really comes through. And so it's really painful to watch. The only thing that makes it easier to watch is knowing that he's doing well now. Yes. like in real life but oh, otherwise it's, so, sure. it's too painful to think about <laughs> everything he went through if
1: it was like philip seymour hoffman then i couldn't even watch it <laughs> we wouldn't have even watched this movie if there was any other outcome for for him yeah it'd be too much what about in river real phoenix life. Oh, i can almost not even watch any river phoenix
0: i know because i had a huge crush on him as well yes hello he's gorgeous and yeah he every, had more depth than like normal 80s teenage hard uh, job people that like vulnerable like there's something like really deeply vulnerable yeah and especially when you're already like physically attractive and then you have that like inner mm-hmm. attractive quality as well
1: whenever you're a really attractive person and you've also had a lot of like emotional pain in your life, it keeps you from realizing how gorgeous you are physically. And then you don't get cocky because there's nothing, well, there's lots of things more obnoxious, but, but <laughs> I find personally, <laughs> I find, <laughs> nothing kills somebody's attractiveness to me quicker than when they're like, really when they really know that they're hot like hey hey baby anybody I walk up to they're gonna be like "Mm, look at me you know and that really turns me off and you know they're bad in bed (laughs) those people are bad in bed like because they don't like to try yeah they're used to getting what they want and they literally have just people kind of fawning all over them being like yes I will
0: you know? Yeah. Like, they're like, who's next? So they don't have to impress exactly. the person that they're with in bed because they know there's someone else just waiting. <laughs> they don't have to put on a good show. Exactly. <laughs> well, I managed to be extremely attractive and good in bed, so it can be done. It can but be
1: done. But <laughs> I bet you can't. <laughs> no, but I bet you have a lot of physical pain. In your background, we're well, not physical pain. Sorry, I bet you have a lot of emotional pain
0: after the sex. There's a lot of physical pain. um Yeah, I have emotional pain too. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> so yeah, so that at that point, it's when we're coming back in. Where it's Christmas. It's only been six months since they've been apart, but then. They all end up getting back together. So Jamie Gertz or Blair says like, are you coming home for Christmas? I really need to talk to you. So he feels like he's going to come back there and get back together with her when he comes home for Christmas after finding her with Julian at Thanksgiving. He's willing to like look past that and forgive her and move on. But then when she gets when he gets there, she he finds out that really she just wants him to talk to Julian about his drug problem. And then they go out to dinner and they're not really being serious or just having fun. They haven't had like the serious talks about Julian's drug problem yet because he doesn't want to. And he says, like, to 10 years together, half of our lives. It was kind of a jumble, but maybe they made it that way so we could feel more like Julian, where we just felt like out of control and confused (laughs) and not really knowing what was going on.
1: Well, I felt like a lot of the camera angles and the lighting and the motion of the movie was pretty jarring there was a lot of electrical blue haze that
0: permeates everyone yeah it seemed like everyone was in like blue light like if you're in a dark room the tv on like the glow of the television or something that was on everyone all the time and then that party that they go to in the beginning there are like a thousand little televisions set up throughout the party. To the point where there's a blackout. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I have to say, like, during the sex scene, so when he does get back together with Blair, and they are kind of rekindling their romance, and they go back to his her loft after they've been out for an evening at the bar, and they do have sex, and... I feel like it's very conservative sex scenes for this movie. I was was really expecting it to be more gratuitous, but she's basically still wearing her leather jacket while they have sex. And they just show like very strategic things. They don't even show boobs, which is like, what? I was like, there were no boobs in this movie. (laughs) An 80s cocaine movie with no boobs. I loved it. I loved (laughs) it. What's happening? Yeah. So it was great. I really liked the way they did the sex scenes because they were Mm -hmm. like, very conservative, but still, I felt like, I gotta be honest with you, I felt like they were really having sex. Like, in the first scene, when she was on oh top of God. them. Yeah. I felt like they could really be having sex. The shot was, if you were Clay looking down,
1: laying on your back, looking down at where you're meeting <laughs> Blair
0: meeting. In the, in the- <laughs>
1: In the erogenous <laughs> zone of pleasure, yeah. you kind of see you kind of see uh, his torso, but you don't really see her. You just see like her leather jacket. And now that we're talking about the women, I mean, there's not that many women in the movie, but the women that are in the movie are all actual human complex characters they are allowed to show us that Blair is really one of the boys like she is she dresses like Clay when they did go to that like they went to that party later when they were looking when Clay and Blair were looking for Julian after his like you know zillionth relapse of smoking crack, um, and he runs off again, and they're looking for him, and then they go to this party that's a tuxedo party, so everyone's wearing a tuxedo, so even the women are wearing tuxedos, which yeah, that could 80s. have that could have been an opportunity though, the party to fill it with scandally clad women and then to show leering shots of their boobs and their butts as you know part of like setting the scene for the party
0: which is like every 80s party shot yeah like the women could have been wearing only a tuxedo jacket with nothing underneath it and like a bow tie with their boobs and their ass hanging out yeah but they weren't they were wearing conservative clothing and the girls were talking about like going to college he's like how's MIT and So they were like fun, normal girls, but they also had like great educations and yeah, Yeah. they did a little Coke,
1: but they kept it together. They did. And their conversation had nothing to do with
0: men. Wow.
1: This is very modern. It is for
0: 1987. Definitely.
1: They were all snorting Coke in the bathroom at the tuxedo party. Public Enemies Fight the Power song was on. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was really interesting how they were there, this like group of white girls snorting Coke in the bathroom with that on. There were almost no black people anywhere in this movie, but there was like a lot of rap. And I thought that was kind of gross, but not in a way that was like intentional or anything. It's just a reflection of how things operated.
0: These white girls are just like snorting coke in the bathroom freely and then they're gonna drive home and they don't have anything to really worry about. And they know that if they do happen to spend one night in jail, someone can bail them out. But if the people who are making that music were caught doing the same thing, they would be in jail for years and possibly get killed when they got pulled over.
1: I feel like we could talk about The fact that Julian owes Rip $50,000 because he agreed to sell crack for $50,000 or Coke or whatever, that he did it all and didn't sell it. Now he doesn't have any money and lost his record label. His dad doesn't trust him. His best friend doesn't trust him. Nobody, you know, trusts him. He has sores on the outside of his mouth. And he's very sweaty all the time. And you know he smells bad. Mm -hmm. He probably has, like, that weird, like, medicinal smell (laughs) that people get when they're, like, when they're just, like, consumed with, like, a drug like that. And his uncle refuses him and he goes to rip and he's like i don't know man
0: and rip's like i know because at first rip is like oh yeah well that's fine you don't have fifty thousand dollars you can work it off to are even steven and so yeah robert downey jr thinks that he's just going to be selling drugs for him and then rip is like oh i've got this party you can go to where you can get meet these people so i didn't know what was going to happen at that point (laughs) i didn't know i was getting afraid that he was actually just going to set him up to get like the shit beat out of him or killed or something when he went off because then he looked at his like henchmen Mm -hmm. to take him away and uh so yeah then you see the henchmen Bill or whatever, who's ripped like right hand man waiting outside the room. And then Robert Downey Jr. just comes out of the seedy motel room looking shaken and always sweaty. Yes, always very sweaty, disheveled. And uh he doesn't he has a shirt on, but he didn't have his jacket on. And then he like puts his jacket on and he just looks really traumatized, even more than usual. And I was like, okay, I guess something sexual happened in there. But I didn't know exactly for sure, because they kind of leave it vague at that point, and then it's clarified more later. Yes. He is supposed to be going to like three places that night. But after he comes out after the first encounter, um, then he escapes and then yeah. is hiding from Rip because he cannot go through that again. It was well, too traumatic for him.
1: And the guy, Billy, I think is name, who's yeah. like his handler. He's like, we've got like three more places to go. Which means that he's going to be sexually violated and abused three more times
0: that night. in yeah. God
1: knows what ways. Yeah, and who knows like, how many
0: people are at each of those three places. you exactly. There's <laughs> like five guys at each place. Yeah, it's totally
1: horrifying. Ugh. It really amazes me because you almost never see a man being sexually
0: abused on screen, no, you really don't, and that's why I was just so surprised at like the depths that this movie went to. They didn't keep it real superficial, like, oh, I do drugs, and I have rich families, they can just get me out of these problems. It's like, no, he is in it alone, and he's in too deep. no one trusts him anymore. Everyone's tried to help him so many times, and they don't believe that he'll really quit, so they've kind of abandoned him, and he has nothing. He has no money, he's losing his friends. And he feels helpless, and he feels like he doesn't have any other choice but to go into this trading sex for money and drugs to basically save his life because he's afraid that they'll kill him otherwise. <sighs> poor Julian. I
1: know. So you want to hear my theory? Yes, you know I want to hear your theory. I want to hear all your
0: theories. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so let, okay. I'm trying
1: to like clarify this for myself too. You know. So in Hollywood, we get these where we get these movies where Hollywood redeems itself and it it lets it lets us in at what's happening behind the scenes of the movie. Somehow, I guess like the most extreme example of that would be David Lynch's Mulholland Drive.
0: I've still never seen it. (laughs) I need to see it in a
1: lot of ways it might be my favorite david lynch movie. I guess maybe I resonate with it more than the with, but I I'm just a huge david lynch fan for, yeah. from way back
0: as you know. I need to have like a david lynch <laughs> marathon cuz I've never really yes. seen all of blue velvet either and that's got my boy in it. Yeah. Ugh.
1: I saw that way too young. Yeah, maybe we, we should put that on our list. I think it's that. on our list.
0: Yeah, I think you so. put it on our list. I'll yeah. do it. Okay. I can handle some. It's a wild Thomas ride. And it's a wild ride. <laughs> oh
1: my God. I'm still not getting to my theory, am I? Well, we keep uh, getting
0: sidetracked. Now we we're do. talking it's about okay, him, I'm, like, twirling my hair. Like, I I'm know. I <laughs> oh my as soon as As soon as I mentioned him, he,
1: he started twirling. hair. Oh, my God. It was adorable. <laughs> I was, like, thoroughly enjoying it. <laughs> I didn't even realize. It's so
0: embarrassing.
1: I wonder if she's going to notice this. AJ <laughs> hey, Cooper. That's fun. <sighs> I feel like there's a there's some serious like girl crush energy happening because I'm definitely <laughs> bringing that to the table.
0: Yeah, this is like a good girl crush day. Your so, theory.
1: Okay, the theory. Okay. Julian everyone is offering him an opportunity to stop doing drugs. And he keeps failing them. Then it's much like how whenever we go to a movie, we end up being extremely disappointed by the generic tropes that Hollywood continually throws at us. And in the '80s, you didn't have a choice. <laughs> uh, obviously, now with streaming services, everything's like completely changed, and Hollywood has basically died the way that Julian ends up dead Mm
0: -hmm. in the
1: desert at the end of the movie which is to say that Julian is Hollywood and this movie is an indictment on the excesses of the movie industry in the 80s and the schlock that they were constantly throwing at people where it was like blatant propaganda to buy more shit
0: buy more cocaine i mean i don't know does that even make any sense it does because so it's coming upon like the end of the 80s and they've already been through like the real height of it like the reagan 80s and super Mm -hmm. coked up so yeah i can see that they're kind of like okay we have done it we've gone all out we've debauched everything the 80s are almost over we're moving into a new era like maybe it's time to move on the brat pat kids are now like growing up they're moving on to other things like it's time to close out this chapter yeah and talking about how the effect that hollywood had on children like child actors so this is like a good representation of that and then it shows like the tragic ending
1: keep going Um, with this I like this, what you're bringing up about the way that child actors are treated,
0: Yeah. And I think especially, I mean, I'm sure it's not good now either because look at most child actors, they end up on a somewhat sad path and it doesn't work out well for a lot of them. And I think especially like in the seventies and eighties, that was true because during that time, even regular kids were kind of treated like Like adults, like older than they were. They were left to their own devices, left alone quite often. And if you're a child actor, you already have a job when you're like seven, you know? So if you're already in this generation where people treat kids like adults, if you have a job when you're seven or eight, they're going to treat you even more like an adult. And they're going to let you do what you want because they want to keep you happy because they want to keep you working. So you can get away with a lot of things. You're not getting the guidance that you need. No one's telling you no. And that can be a dangerous thing. Like, it sounds fun, but after a while, it's not fun. (laughs) And especially when you're so young, you need someone to, like, tell you no and protect you, really. Even though you feel like you're an adult, you're not. And even though you're a big movie star, you're still just a kid. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, like it's come out, a lot of them were like sexually abused by people in the industry as well. And they were exposed to like drugs and alcohol, probably as part of that abuse to get them to go along with it and keep them quiet and keep them under their control. Just
1: like Julian.
0: Yeah. Just like Julian. So, yeah, Julian can just be maybe like the poster boy for 80s child movie stars.
1: That's a good point. I know. I'm so I'm <laughs> so discombobulated by being in this closet. And <laughs> sitting on the floor. And sitting on the floor. It's like, <laughs> it's really made me feel kind of weird. And the movie discombobulated me too. Also, because I've actually, I've been on cocaine before. Ooh. I have not um, ever smoked anything like that. And the way yeah. that I did the way that I did the cocaine was very controlled. Like, because I'm not, I'm not silly. I know, I know what happens to people. Like that's a legitimate thing of what happens to Julian with cocaine that happens to people all the time. And I mean, also, I was exposed to this movie when I was a kid. So it, it's pretty well seared into my also never do heroin because you know, but obviously, (laughs) Uh, but, but I thought like a controlled amount of cocaine would be okay. I was like, Sigmund Freud does it. Oh, he did. If it's good enough for, if it's good enough for Siggy, it's good (laughs) enough for me. So I actually did think
0: (laughs) that. You (laughs) use that as like a justification.
1: (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing. I was reading a lot of Sigmund Freud at the time and I knew about his life and I knew that he used cocaine and I was like, well, that's really interesting. I want to do that. I guess it's sort of like a musician who looks at like rock and rollers and they're like, Oh, they do heroin. I'm going to try that. You know, maybe, it, you know, I think maybe it was a little bit of that for me. I thought, Oh, Coke can be a tool for, in for being more intellectual. <laughs> Um, What I quickly realized, though, is that cocaine is responsible for disco and really (laughs) terrible renditions of Art Deco furniture from the 80s (laughs) and, like, rehashes of
0: 60s pop art. And um, the Star Wars Christmas special. I've heard that cocaine was highly involved in that. (laughs) The Chewbacca. (laughs) Chewbacca Chewbacca-themed Christmas special.
1: I didn't see that. I've
0: never seen it. I've only just heard more mm-hmm. of it, and I kind of want to see it. <laughs> Apparently, it was like a cocaine fever dream. Oh my god! In the middle,
1: <laughs> so I had it packed with a couple of friends, and so we would do it together on the weekends. And we, and one of our rules was that we went in on it together. It was a small amount. We only did it on the weekend in that one setting like because we because it's really addictive like no (laughs) like that's not that's not propaganda (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, so we're like we agreed on that you know but much like i hear what happens with like swingers Somebody doesn't follow the rules. (laughs) And one of my friends couldn't help himself. And he loved it too much and ended up getting super addicted to it. And we watched him spiral. And so I thought about him a lot when I was watching this with Julian, because there were some like, there were some similarities in the way that they felt completely unlovable, and that the and one of the things about cocaine is that it makes you feel really accepted. With like, it's really easy to accept and love yourself and be like, "I'm fucking awesome." <laughs> and like, we are not taught that.
0: <laughs> no, that'd be great to just feel that naturally. Well, and we could. <laughs>
1: Well, we could, you know, we still can. You're making me want to try it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. But there's way better ways to do that than hope. I mean, it doesn't last at all. And then whenever you come down off of it, it's like you feel crappier. Yeah. The problem with it is that, okay, so you start off at like this level where maybe things aren't great. Like maybe you don't feel super great all the time but you don't feel super horrible all the time either so that's pretty good and then you do coke <laughs> and then you're like oh i am fucking hot i am brilliant <laughs> i am a piece of work and i'm gonna work it all over town oh my <laughs> baby <laughs> Whatever that means to you, you know, whatever, whatever kind of work you do, that's, you get really confident. And then you, and then the high wears off and then you feel terrible because you're coming down off of it. And I don't really know the chemical. Yeah. Then you feel like crap. Yeah. That's her, the bad part. And then you go, well, I know what I could do to feel better. But see, but see what I would do, so it's really easy to just go back to it, but I'd make sure that I would do like really tiny amounts in shorter times. So I never felt extremely high. But I never felt extremely low either. I'll probably cut that out because it's actually a really great way to do coke. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um And not like get hooked on it because, because I never had that when I was off of it, I didn't crave it. Because what I was trying to do was sharpen, I wanted to sharpen my perception in a particular way that was like more mathematical. Whereas I was, it's like, it's like uh, psychedelics. Are very spiral if i was gonna say they were a shape they'd be very very much a spiral experience but cocaine and coca because i've actually done coca leaves where you stick coca leaves in your
0: and like in your jaw okay and you I've just it leave TV. it there oh you don't chew it you just leave it no it's incredible you'll, you'll like have a heart attack and die probably mm. or something
1: no no it's super mild Oh, okay. it's, unbel- it's unbelievable.
0: You're making um, all these drugs sound so great. <laughs> well, I kind don't of do drugs.
1: I, I, I'm sure I'm going to cut out like all the indulgent parts. But, yeah. but, I think I think drugs can be very good if they're used in a particular way that's more precise about what your intentions are, and you have like a system in place for things. With coke, <laughs> so the coca plant. Generally, since I've done the leaves as well, which is the traditional way of interacting with them. Also, drinking a tea. I've also drank the coca Hmm. tea. So, I feel like the coca plant is more of an experience that would be a lot of right angles. As opposed
0: to the spiral of psychedelics. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I feel like I could have an addictive personality. Like, I know that there are people in my family who have addictive personalities in some parts of my family and I'm afraid that I could have that. And that's why I've never experimented with drugs because I can just see me like trying cocaine once and then becoming addicted.
1: You know, you know what, if you feel that way about yourself and you've had those thoughts then don't ever do drugs it's that fucking
0: simple (laughs) (laughs) there's absolutely no reason for it (laughs) like I feel like I'm probably gonna get addicted but I'll just try and see nope (laughs) no
1: (laughs) yeah I guess I never really felt that about any of the drugs that I've done because if I had felt that way about them I wouldn't have done them because I don't, I've seen, because I've seen, I mean, like, I have seen movies like
0: this. Yeah. And so the it, movies did work, and the Sweet Valley High looked, book did work. <laughs> totally. Yay. Nancy Reagan would be so happy. Did you know <laughs> that
1: she was uh, rumored to be the blowjob queen of Hollywood?
0: What? Back in, like, the
1: 40s. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a salacious detail. I love it. It's
0: It's like the thing about her that I love. (laughs) That is shocking. So Reagan like nailed that down. (laughs) Good for him. It's funny because she's so tiny and I feel like her body was always so skinny and she was Mm -hmm. just like mainly a big head. And so now that all makes sense. She was. (laughs) She,
1: She was chubby when she was young. Hmm. And then she developed an eating disorder, I think. God, did you read really like a biography about her? I started to read the um Kitty Kelly biography. The unauthorized biography.
0: The only and line. I'll tell you I'll tell you what.
1: Kitty Kelly is a great writer. But then I got distracted and was started reading other things that were like more pertinent to something that wasn't just like salacious gossip about someone I don't like.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm like, I like, I don't think you're like a Nancy Reagan fan. So I was just surprised <laughs> that you would read about her. Well, see, okay. So you know how
1: people like gossip? Yes. I like, I love gossip. And I love salacious details, but I like, I only really like to, I only enjoy it if it's like about dead people because <laughs> I don't feel like I'm directing my energy at them and like with people that are alive like it feels kind of creepy because i kind of feel like i'm like peering through a window so i like to read about people that are dead <laughs> Well, okay. i know about all kinds of like random hollywood scandals
0: <laughs> of people that have died <laughs> from like the 40s and 50s <laughs> yeah <laughs> Those do seem a little just more interesting and glamorous too. And especially mm-hmm. because at that time, anything risque was even more risque because it was such a conservative time. So it does make it a little cooler. Yeah. Nancy, who knew? Know.
1: Uh, Less than zero has a metallic quality that is like resonates with the blue haze. Of the late night television, on in the dark. All of the decor in the movie is so cold. And all of it's like all of the furniture has sharp angles and edges. Most of the rooms look like people really don't inhabit the spaces. The ceilings are all very high. And yeah,
0: they look like modern art museums, their homes.
1: Yeah. The only cozy place in the whole movie is in Andrew McCarthy's arms.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> <Aww, Andrew. laughs>
1: so Clay Clay and Blair had an interaction that I was like, "Oh my gosh, this perfectly sums up to me what I felt like I had to be as a woman. Okay, Tell me. So Clay says to Blair, you don't look happy. And then Blair says, but do I look good? And then Clay says, always. And I was like, oh my gosh, this completely sums up <laughs> the way that I thought The path to beauty lies in pain.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the saying. There's something about pain. Um, (laughs) That's funny because I was just reading that quote because I had that written down too. Like That's a powerful moment in the movie that does kind of sum up a lot of things for a lot of women. So there was one interaction that I thought was weird in the movie. um, That just seemed like, okay where does this fit in and why is it in here when Mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr. is really like at the end of his rope and he's escaped from rip after he was forced into um, basically being a sex worker by force. Um, He comes to the Christmas party that Andrew McCarthy's family's having. And he just looks like worse than ever. He looks and he shows up, So they're inside this beautiful dinner in this fancy house and they're all wearing their beautiful clothing. And then Andrew McCarthy looks out the window and he sees Robert Downey Jr. in his backyard. And it looks like he's a wild animal because he's under a tree, like in the bushes, and he just looks wild eyed and sweaty and disheveled. So he goes out to talk to him and then they're by the pool. And that's when Robert Downey Jr. comes clean and is like, I owe $50,000 to rip. I really need your help. And Andrew McCarthy's like, oh, my God, like, $50,000, that's a lot to ask, but I'll see what I can do. So he goes inside to ask his dad for $50,000, and I was just like, what is that like? What is that like? I, mean, I can't even imagine. But hey, so. Dad. <laughs> hey, dad, I need to borrow some money. $50,000. My best friend. <laughs> he did $50,000 for a Coke. <laughs> But oh, so while geez. that is going on, then Julian, but he goes into the house and I kind of looked away for a minute and he ends up, I guess, in like the bathroom, like the mom's bathroom or something where the little girl is, which I guess is Andrew McCarthy's really a lot younger little sister. So there's like this seven-year-old girl sitting in a vanity and she's putting on jewelry and like messing with makeup and stuff. And he goes to talk to her and he's like play flirting with her, like how guys do with like you little girls yeah. just innocently dead. teasing yeah me. like oh, hey, you haven't called me i haven't heard from you <laughs>
1: you're yeah. giving me the cold shoulder there were a few times that i that that happened to me when i was a little girl where it didn't feel creepy at all i just felt yeah. like they were goofing around with me you yeah, know so like we were just adorable. playing a game
0: please continue <laughs> I feel like it can be done to where it feels adorable and cute because when you're a little girl, you do want like you think a teenage Mm -hmm. boy is like everything in the world. And so it would feel great to have them pay attention to you and like kind of flirt with you, but not really flirting. And so, yeah, as long as you keep that fine line, it can be very adorable or it can quickly turn creepy. I feel like his was staying adorable and like innocent and not creepy and -hmm. funny because that's how he is. But it just felt strange. <laughs> just kind of like, what is this scene? Why is it in there? And then I was like, is he gonna steal the jewelry that she's trying on? Did he steal it? Yeah, he's he
1: steals the jewelry. And I felt like that scene was about Julian's further loss of innocence. First he's playing with this little girl, making her delight. I mean, he she's delighted with his attention. He's like crumbling, you know. And yeah. whenever you go and steal your friend's mom's jewelry, like that's a that's a whole other level. That like he's not he's not. It's almost like he's not even there anymore. It's just this need for speed. Yeah. <laughs> it's <a> different movie. <laughs> it's so horrible. Like this movie is so sad. So while while Julian Stealing plays uh, mom's jewelry, Clay and Blair are having sex against a wall, and and it's interspersed with shots of his dad playing the piano, and his dad's new wife, and his dad's old wife sitting drinking wine incessantly with that nervous sip that never stops. And I noticed through this movie there's a lot of scenes where people are constantly have a habit of consumption, consuming something and they'll like focus in on it. You know, like how Julian's smoking his pipe and then how these women are drinking and how Blair is also like constantly taking little bumps of coke that has to do with like being a consumer. Look at all of the stuff that you think you need. You're emotionally absent from the people in your life and from yourself. You have no idea that you can nourish yourself by breathing and sitting outside by a tree. All of the people in the movie, really, except for Clay, are, like, motivated by consuming something outside of themselves because they feel really empty. Hollywood has fed that. That's its job. Besides entertaining and, like, also, like, just people needing to create things out of, like, pure beauty of consciousness, you know. But somebody's got to pay the bills. So I guess that's wh- further reason why I feel like this movie is like an indictment.
0: The excess, it's never enough. You have to always be consuming something to try to fill a void. But you can't. So you're just yeah. trying to keep filling it with more and more and more. But it doesn't go away. Just yeah. like Julian had. <sighs> One of the scenes, so the scene where he was with that little girl also had an interesting quote when he calls her... um a heartless preteen hussy. <laughs> I was like, oh. that might be getting a little close to the edge. <laughs> like a seven-year-old girl, but just wanted to throw I, that quote in
1: there. <laughs> I had written, that's funny because I had written down, you little vixen. <laughs> which is pretty gross. Yeah, those are gross. He, I feel like he passed over the line that I was comfortable with when he brought those words in it became menacing but i think it had to become menacing he was he was there to steal the jewelry
0: yeah but i think that it was supposed to <laughs> like still just show that he was still like a good-hearted fun person like he was trying to just be cute and funny with her while he was really there to steal jewelry so was, like he, juxtaposing yeah The good side and the bad side that he's been forced into. -hmm. You
1: can't help but be menacing when you're that desperate. Even if you have no bad intentions of ever hurting anybody, when somebody is like so desperate for a substance, or and not only is he desperate for the substance that kind of like takes over your body. And, and your mind and a body snatcher my friend that that happened to that got addicted he became a different person and he wasn't himself it was so creepy that was like the most horrible thing as a witness you real you start to realize that they're not them anymore That's and- sad. And that's not like to say that that's always going to be that way. But while they're on the drug, while they're in the grips of the drug, they aren't themselves. And it's creepy
0: to be around. It's so creepy. (laughs) Yeah, because they look the same, but they're not the same. That's sad, too. So what happened to your friend? Like, how did it end up? Well...
1: I lost contact with him because I just couldn't handle it. And he went, he went into rehab and when he came out and we, you know, supported him totally with that. And when he came out, uh, he gave the thing of, you know, how he was going to be and all that. And then I was gone and I, for a few months and I came back and I went to a party that he was having and he had gotten his life together. And then, fair enough, that night, about, about midnight rolls around and who shows up at a drug dealer with a big bag of Coke?
0: At his party? He called him. Oh, God. And so I... Is it like him- his I'm going back on Coke party? Why did he I all over to do it? It was so...
1: It was such a mindfuck to me because I really believed him. And then I saw it happening though at the party, like I saw why it happened and it was because the guy that he liked that he had invited to the party just like came, but wasn't, was only interested in friendship. So he got rejected And I saw that happen earlier in the evening and I, that's not great. And then I know that's why, because, and then, you know, it makes you feel really confident and it fills, it fills in all those little spots where you feel deficient, like all those little spots where whenever you're like at a party, like look around and like compare yourself to other people it like takes all that away Hmm. and the problem though is that the more you do it the more like drained and weird looking you get (laughs) (laughs) so so you might feel like you're on top of the world looking fine but everybody else around you is kind of like uh what's going on over there
0: (laughs) and why is your nose always bleeding That's sad. That sounds like the plot of a movie. Like this sounds like it's from the movie. Yeah, he's like at a party. Everything's going great, but then you get rejected, and boom yeah. you're right it's back on. It's just
1: right enough, you know. And mm-hmm. and I really didn't want him to have a party. Like I didn't tell him that, of course, because you can't tell an adult person. <laughs> That's not my job. I'm not going to be that person. That No, and like you can't keep him from having a party for
0: the rest of his life, you know, like he's got to try it sometime.
1: Ultimately, it's not my business. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't I didn't say anything like more people came over than I thought were going to be there, though, too. And then I was like, oh, no, now it's getting like you know i know i know exactly what his triggers are cuz i've been with him so many times when he's been so high where it's just like it's like an alien came in and your friend isn't in your friend's body anymore and it's it's rather disconcerting sure. um <laughs> I can imagine. And this is, like, stuff that I'm thinking, like, even times when I had, like, taken a few bumps of coke or something, and I would be out dancing with him, and I would, so I, myself, would be kind of high. I'm, like, looking at him being, like, dude, you're not even here. Like, where are you? Like, Julian, like, Robert De Niro played that so
0: well. Or Robert Downey Jr., Robert De Niro <laughs> my can, can you imagine Robert De Niro <laughs> playing friends with Andrew McCarthy and Jamie Gertz <laughs> as a spoiled Beverly Hills teen <laughs> I would love to see that oh my god <laughs> this is hilarious <laughs> God, that would be a totally different movie and a totally amazing movie. (laughs) I want to see this now.
1: I want to (laughs) see this. I (laughs) want (laughs) to reboot. I don't even remember what I was saying. That was so funny. Oh, yeah. So Robert Downey Jr., I just felt like he wasn't in his body. And it just felt like how... You know, seeing, like, my friend be all sweaty and knowing that he's been up for three days. Oh, my God. And then, like, being, like, twitchy and stuff. And then being, like, (laughs) hey, you know, you want to eat? And he's like, oh, no, I just ate. I just ate. And, like, knowing that he hasn't eaten. Just, like, the constant, like, lying. But you can't help it because you're not telling yourself the truth. So, (laughs) How do you expect to be telling other people the
0: truth? Yeah, I think he played it so well because it's based on his experience.
1: What's your favorite quote?
0: I mean, honestly, my favorite quote, I just wrote down what you said earlier about when they were talking and you said, you don't look happy. And she said, but do I look good? <laughs> and then I wrote down the, uh, you're a heartless preteen hussy that he said to like a seven year old girl. <laughs>
1: You know what's funny is that Nana's called me a hussy before.
0: (laughs) And she's not wrong. (laughs) Thank you. I like that word. I think it's kind of an endearing term.
1: I I do too. My, My favorite is, well, you're fucked up. You look like shit, but hey, no problem. All you need is a better cut of cocaine. Yes. Uh, when place said that to Blair. Because Blair, Blair is like so obnoxious in the first half of this movie. She reminds me of Winnie on, uh. on The Wonder Years. Like in the sense of it's that same character of like, I'm just completely unaware of the fact that I'm hurting everyone's feelings. <laughs> and I'm going to make myself... Be the one that's so distraught and the damsel in distress. But like she's actually causing all of it. <laughs> and so yeah. that's really annoying to me <laughs> to watch in a in like a movie and then to not have the character like develop, which I feel like on the Wonder Years, like I feel like Winnie didn't really develop very well past that. But Anyway, that's not really... But with... I feel like with Blair, she actually... Her character develops a lot through the movie. She becomes somebody that I really enjoy uh, spending time with. <laughs> <laughs> I like whenever Play and Rip get in a fight at the party and blair is hitting rip and billy the bodyguard or whatever uh the henchman um every time she can and she's just like right in there like there's a bunch of guys standing around and they're
0: not doing anything i know the whole time i was like is anyone gonna join in here the room is literally filled with people. They have to move out of the way to avoid getting hit by like flying bodies and shitty art that's flying around and no one <laughs> lifts a finger. They're just watching. Yeah. It was awesome that Blair jumped in and tried fighting them off too. Cause they were wanting to go after Julian who was like just waiting alone out in the car, passed out and uh cause they had just rescued him from the hotel where he had been forced again into basically selling his body in exchange for money and coke to pay off rip but clay (laughs) i keep forgetting his name now too (laughs) i knew it at the beginning clay goes back into the art gallery tuxedo museum party whatever they're having (laughs) to get blair and bring her back out to the car to let her know that he's rescued robert downey jr (laughs) forgetting everyone's (laughs) name (laughs) and then uh somehow like At the same time that he gets there, then Rip and Bill are there too, which they had been at the hotel previously where they had forced Robert Dine Jr. into like being a sex worker. And they get there though at the same time. So they have that big fight. I mean, Andrea McCarthy, I'm sorry, but I don't see him winning any fight. So he definitely needed help. And finally they were able to escape. And some, I think he took like a big glass rod that was part of the art display or something, and just bashed yeah. him across the face. Of it and oh, and then his head got slammed in. Andrew McCarthy's head got slammed into one of those televisions and like cracked the TV set. Which the TVs all around were like a huge theme of the whole thing. So then maybe that's another just like symbolic thing of Hollywood just admonishing itself. <laughs> symbolics, symbology, <laughs> symbolics. <laughs> Is that a word? It should be. i'll look it up later
1: synergy through
0: symbols <laughs> it's like remind me of dianetics <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> those commercials that used to be on i remember seeing dianetics commercials when i was a kid like on, yeah the big volcano erupting is was like dianetics by l ron hubbard and they sold it as if it were just like a novel or something like a tom clancy book and then now I'm like, okay, why was that just advertised on TV?
1: When I was a kid, I um I remembered asking Nana if I could get that book. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Because I, I liked, I liked the volcano it's that erupts on it. I was like, that looks interesting. I was like eleven, I think, and she was yeah. like, she was like, she goes. Oh, holly that's a cult oh you don't want it. she goes you don't want anything to do with it trust me and she never would be like that you know usually she would like explain something to me and yeah. uh, so i was kind of like whoa that must be serious because like she never does that so um but that's then amazing. i found but then i found one in a goodwill mm-hmm. and when i was like 14 and i bought it as a joke um because I I looked at it and like was reading it in the store and I was like this is a bunch of gobbledygook god yeah but I bought it anyway just like to show
0: her like this of course (laughs) amazing imagine if you had just like ordered it yourself without (laughs) telling her when you were like 11 and then you became an 11 year old Scientologist (laughs) You're like, I'm sorry, I've got to move out. <laughs> I'll never see again. you again. I'm joining Corg. Org.
1: i David, uh, David Moscovich a run for his money.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can be running it by now if you joined when you were 11. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? those commercials were on during, like, Saturday morning cartoons. I swear, I saw them at my grandma's yeah. all the time while I was watching TV. It
1: must be geared towards me. It must be for me. <laughs> it wasn't on during the
0: equalizer (laughs) one of the other just random scenes in the movie that i think kind of goes along with our whole theme especially from the 80s movies of parental absence um yes is after after clary after (laughs) (laughs) clary (laughs) my god after after clay comes back for his christmas vacation and he goes to that first party where he hooks up with robert (laughs) johnny jr and jamie gertz that night and then they all go out and uh robert johnny jr julian ends up getting like extra effed up later that night and he separates from them and then you find him like the next morning sleeping on a park bench and Andrew McCarthy's gone looking for him. And he's like, I figured I'd find you here. I guess that's happened before. (laughs) So, but he walks through toward the park bench and he walks like between these two swings on a swing set. And there's just a little boy swinging there alone with like no one around in the morning in a park. And I was just like, where's that kid's anyone? He's just been swinging for Mm -hmm. who knows how long looking at a guy that's passed out on a bench alone in a park.
1: Yeah, and well, and it's another juxtaposition between this innocent child and Julian who is lost his way. He's lost his way out of boyhood. Like, right at the cusp of becoming a man, Julian decides he doesn't know how to i mean he doesn't decide it's like he doesn't know how to be a man because he's clearly in a lot of pain and he's self-medicating to an extreme on top of the fact that like he's just ingesting a physically addictive substance
0: yeah you know afraid to move on and become a man and he says like while they're having that conversation on the bench with the um abandoned little boy still swinging in front of them <laughs> he's like oh i went back by the school just to check it out and it's like it's only been 6 months and he's like just to take a walk down memory lane and he said like oh it's strange how all the little kids have grown up now and they don't look up to us like they used to like we're legends and so he's clearly already like longing for high school again and he just got out of it he's not ready to move on just like blair's not ready to move on she doesn't have like Whatever skills she needs, she's afraid to leave and go to college. And she's kind of embarrassed to admit that she's really just afraid and maybe Mm -hmm. she won't make it. And she's doesn't probably have a lot of life skills or coping Mm -hmm. skills to be able to go somewhere else where she doesn't know anyone and really just make it on her own and test herself. Blair, like we said, Blair and Julian are just kind of trapped there, like in perpetual adolescence and their father figure. Clay left them and they are just kind of floating at sea, lost, until he comes back. And then they latch onto him to help them out of all their problems for like his mm-hmm. Christmas vacation. He's like, I'm trying to take a vacation here and I'm suddenly solving all of my friends' problems and getting in fights with drug dealers and um watching you OD and watching you go through detox and then watching you die. All within a Christmas vacation. So
1: Julian dies while they're driving through the desert. They're in Joshua Tree. So Clay is driving, Julian's sitting in the middle, and then Blair's on the passenger seat. And they're driving through Joshua Tree. Clay all of a sudden realizes that Julian is dead
0: yeah so it was after they had just rescued him from the hotel <clears throat> and like the fight with rip and everything were so julian was really on his like last redemption tour where mm-hmm. he was like clean he had made the deal with his dad that he was going to stay clean for at least a week so he could come home for a while his dad was eventually going to give him the money and he went to palm springs under the misguided notion that he could just talk to rip and explain everything that this time i'm really clean and this time i really mean it and this time i'll pay you and then you know, we get the backstory from Rip that this has happened many, many, many times before, just like with so many addicts who really try, but then they just get sucked back in. And he thinks he's going to be able to just like reason his way out of it with Rip. But then Rip forces him into giving more blowjobs for money at that party. And to, he doesn't want to do it, obviously. And so then the henchman Bill lights up like a crack pipe or cocaine mm-hmm. pipe or whatever it is we've decided i doing right in front of him. And so it's like, okay, you're lighting this in my face. I'm just newly clean. I can't resist this. And I have to do this because if I'm going to go in there and be forced to, like, blow guys in exchange for money, I can't do that sober. So then they just draw him right back in. and But then he gets rescued out of there by Clay. And it seems like... They're all going to be happy. They're driving out of Palm Springs in their red Corvette Stingray Convertible 1964, which I love so much. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, okay, he's got his friends. They're all supporting him now. He's back on track while they're driving home. He's sleeping in between them, like you said. And I'm like, wow, he's sleeping, sitting straight up. All right. I don't think I could do that. And then he (laughs) falls over onto Clay And then you realize, Clay realizes, uh, he's dead. So then he pulls over. Yeah, so they're in the middle of Joshua Tree, surrounded by all those amazing trees in the middle of the desert. And uh, Clay starts crying a little bit. And then Blair wakes up and she realizes what's going on. And it seems sometimes, like, when you look at Andrew McCarthy, like, he's kind of laughing a little bit when he's crying. Was that just me? I'm like, maybe it's just, like, a nervous laugh that he has. Like, how some people... Can't handle like strong emotions and pain and yeah. sadness, and it makes him have like just a like nervous laugh. And I think he right. had that.
1: I read it like whenever this happens to me when you have a really bad day, everything that you're trying to do is you have some roadblock in front of you. At some point, for me, I'm like, well, why not sooner? Just be like. <laughs> this is absurd like i just i give in like i'm just going to expect everything to be weird from here on out thank you very much whatever i'm gonna giggle about it now that's like a mild version but think about everything he's been with been through with julian i could see myself being like of course you would fucking die yeah yeah Right next to me in a car while we're in the desert with, and it's 1987. So
0: I just kept thinking about like the drive, the drive. I was thinking that this was like his practice role for Weekend at
1: Bernice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. <laughs> Did they not learn CPR in the 80s? Like they could have at least tried. Yeah, resuscitate him. He's young. I've seen people come back after resuscitation like literally four times in Whoa. a row and walk out of the hospital the next day. Yeah, it was a guy in his 20s on math wow. and he died. He had to be resuscitated multiple times within a day. And then the next day he like walked out like nothing. Wow. I had
1: a runner up favorite quote from Rip. (laughs) I don't want to trust you. I just want my (laughs) $50,000. That's reasonable. (laughs) I think you tell yourself that you want to, that you're going to stop, but you know, you're not going to stop because you still want to, there's a party that still wants to do it. And so there's like a teetering. I mean, everybody's tried to give up something that they weren't successful giving up the, like, you know, it's bad for you. I feel like everybody knows what this feeling is whether it's like a food item, or you know, shopping, or drugs, or uh, I don't know, the internet or social media or whatever, like whatever yeah. your whatever your fix is, like it feels like a battle when you want to quit it, but you still enjoy it. You know, the other thing with getting in a situation like Julian is that whenever You do progressively worse things that you feel progressively worse about yourself. And you also know that the people that you love don't want to be around you. That must feel so horrible. There must be so much guilt there. So it just like compounds upon itself. And so the thing that you already had a crutch with, you're going to keep doing it because that was already the thing that you used to make yourself feel better so that you could avoid all this unpleasant emotion stuff in the first place. And so it's, I think that's like a really big part of why that's just
0: a very vicious cycle. The other thing I was thinking too, about whether or not he would stay clean um, because he, like you said, he had been forced to do things like he'd gone to the lowest of the low and then he'd been forced to go back into like trading sex for money or drugs again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I feel like that might be something that would be hard for him to get out of his brain and that might drive him back to it. And then also knowing that Clay had come in and rescued him from that room. So then he was like shamed in front of his friend and then he might not be able to get over that and even though his friend is there to help him and wouldn't judge him it would always be in the back of his mind and he would maybe start pushing clay away and like resenting him because he knew his like deepest darkest secret at least he died with his friends in a nice place yeah
1: there's nothing shameful about being raped and no. i don't think there's anything shameful about being about being addicted to drugs either but He's ashamed in the movie, and everything in our culture said if you are raped, if you you if you're a drug addict, you should be ashamed, and you should be punishing yourself constantly. That you need to have, you need to be paying a penance. So this, if the culture was open and like acknowledging. Julian's pain that created the need for smoking crack if he got if he got into drugs and he got he was getting raped there wouldn't be shame in it because our culture would look at something like that and say that's rape rip has actually manipulated Julian to be indebted and it it made me think that this was definitely not just the beginning of the sex for an exchange to pay off the debts. It made me think that it's happened before. I thought that Rip probably operates with that that way with a lot of guys.
0: So, after the funeral of Julian and Clay and Blair are sitting on the bench talking and just reminiscing about him. And then eventually Clay says, you know, I'm leaving tomorrow to go back to school and I want you to come with me. And she says, I will go. I do want to go with you. So do you think she really goes through that and goes with them?
1: Blair has changed. And there's a scene where she's at the tuxedo party with her friends and her friends are, you know, they like doing coke and stuff, and she's just like, eh. and you can tell she's turned off by it. Then one of the girls' noses starts to bleed. She just laughs it off, and she's like, "Ha ha, rusty pipe." <laughs> yeah, and it's so sad because you know, it's like I'm very aware this whole time that these these kids are supposed to be eighteen they're all they all seem like kind of jaded in that moment and that it's not fun and you can you can see Blair having this realization that like it's time to give this up for for these Hollywood kids this is what being a teenager is these are the childish things that you give up it's pretty alarming but, like, how could that not happen when you have, like, a so much disposable income and no parental supervision? That's all I got, man. I need some coffee.
0: Okay. I, I need to get out of this closet. <laughs> yeah, you need to come out of the closet. It's too dark in there. It's killing your vibes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's all we have to say about mm. this movie. So for this episode, we just want to ask if this anything like this has ever happened to you. Has a friend ever betrayed you? If so, tell us about it at cover Your Eyes Podcast at gmail.com. Also, if you have ideas for other movies we should cover in the future, we'd love to hear those too.
1: Thank you for listening to Cover Your Eyes Podcast. If you like their show, please feel free to count the ways. Find us on patreon.com backslash cover your
0: eyes. You can also visit our store on Redbubble at cover your eyes podcast. Are we going to say see you next Tuesday? still? <laughs> okay, we could say bye. I'll see you next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: The only cozy place in the whole movie is in Andrew McCarthy's arms. <laughs>